0: Um, Well, good morning. My name is Dave Jane. I am the lead pastor here at Connect Church. Uh, If you're visiting here this morning, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming and joining us here on, actually, this very special day. You see, at Connect, um, we often will go through series, and we've got a new series beginning next Sunday. But from time to time, there'll be special um, events, and uh, today is actually one of those special days because one of the values of Connect Church is, um, well, actually we have two very strong values and both are going to come up this morning. One's planting churches, we are a church plant ourselves, but the other is children. We really believe that God has called us as a church to impact the lives of children, both here, locally, but also globally. So it was a thrill for us to make the decision to be able to, um, this morning, partner with hundreds of other churches all around the country that are um, taking part this morning in what's called Compassion Sunday. Compassion International is a great organization. You're going to learn all about them this morning. They're an organization that are committed to releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Compassion Sunday is about how we, as a church family, can say, yes, I want to be here for you to a child who needs to know that they matter. Today we have the opportunity to make a very real and tangible difference to children that are in desperate need. Now some of you this morning, you may have heard of this organization, Compassion. Some of you may never have heard of them. So um, for all of you, whether you've heard them or not, I want to just do a little introduction video here um, to tell you a little bit more about what Compassion is as an organization and what their goal is throughout the world. So check out this video.
1: My name is Gloria. I am nine years old and live in Uganda. I always look forward to going to the Compassion Center at the church near my house. They welcome me with open arms. Everyone is so kind, they say, Gloria, how are you doing? We are happy to see you. I get food to eat, and they check my health. If I am sick, they always look after me. I love the games, it is so much fun. My teacher smiles a lot, and she helps me in my studies. I learn about Jesus too. They teach me how to pray to him. I love this place, and I know they are always here for me, no matter what happens. It is much different in the place where I live. It is very crowded, and I don't see much happiness here. I live here in this house, all eight of us in one small room. It makes me upset that you don't always have enough to eat. People get sick a lot, and I know some people who have died. It is dangerous in this place too, especially at night. Sometimes I get quite scared. This makes me sad, and I worry about what will happen to me. But I am so happy that I have a compassion sponsor his name is Andy even though he lives so far away in America he gives me hope he told me in his letters Gloria I am praying for you be strong I am here for you he makes me feel like my life matters
2: when I look at Gloria I see a lot of potential in her And at the same time, I see the challenges that she's going through, you know, growing up in a poverty-stricken area that I grew up in. But I know that with the support that she's getting at the Compassion Centre, she too will be able to realise her dreams. You can tell a child living in poverty that I am here for you. I am here to walk this journey with you. And that child's life will be transformed. All these opportunities that these children have and I had as a sponsored child are made possible because of sponsors, the church and Compassion International. To give a child in poverty the hope and encouragement for a brighter future. Tell them I'm here for you and sponsor a child today.
1: You you.
0: You know, it was. A very easy decision for me to make to partner with this awesome uh, ministry, Compassion. Even when we were planting the church, you know, we were thinking about what the future of Connect Church would look like, what our values would be, what we would be known for as a church. We knew that we couldn't do everything, so we thought, well, we'll just try and um, do a few things and do them really well and be very impactful in what we do. And one of those things we decided was, you know, children here and around the world, they are Um, the most vulnerable, you know, and, and, and it's been in my experience as a follower of Jesus that very often, and we could probably go around the room here this morning with a show of hands, very often for many of us, the first time we encountered Jesus, many of us would say, when we were a child. It's during those, those ages, uh, you know, beneath the age of 14, so I think it's brilliant to be able to partner with an organization that is not only helping children in poverty, but also sharing the great news of Jesus and how much he loves every one of them. I loved those questions in just that they, they understand who God is, and they got, just like you and me, so many questions to ask him. So I want to talk a little bit about this whole idea this morning, and just to, to set things up wants to kind of ask this question, have you ever found yourself in a a real shady place? You're like, maybe it's a new area, you've never been there before, and you you kind of arrive and you're like, okay, I've never been here before, but I just don't feel too safe right now. That's uh, unfortunately happened to me a lot. Um, I happen to be um, a bit of a saver, as I think I mentioned in a, a previous service. I'm looking for deals, so very often if we're traveling, you know, I'll be online and I'll find a great rate at a hotel. I'm like, man, that is a inc- we should stay here. It's so much cheaper than all the other hotels, and then we get there. And we find out why it's so much cheaper than all the other hotels. You know, as we're approaching, you can just you can just tell, can't you, as you're driving through the neighborhood, it's just getting shadier and shadier and Casey's kinda tapping her foot and she's like, You've done it again. So um so we've learned, to, now we've got children, we've actually started to be a bit wiser and start to spend a little bit more money. But sometimes, you know, if you're flying out from an airport and you want to stay near the airport and you arrive, and some of these hotels, they're, they're kind of shady. You know, you get there and you're like, oh, I don't know, if, I've never been here before. I don't feel that safe. Well, I want to talk about somewhere in the Bible that was a, uh, a very renowned shady area. It was an, it was an area that um, people in Jesus' time would have known very well, and it was called the Bloody Pass. Okay, it was an area just there in Jerusalem that that anyone who lived in Jesus' time, they would know this particular area. It was an isolated spot on a dangerous road in the Middle East. And the road at the time of this event was, was more of a narrow path. It was a twisting, turning path with cliffs and caves on either side. Lots of places for thugs and bandits to hide. And this particular place, the Bloody Pass, it got its name because of all the violence that so often occurred there. As travelers were coming through, they'd be attacked, robbed, sometimes even killed. And Jesus actually tells a story one day. He's being quizzed by a religious leader. And rather than directly answer the questions, he turns it around and he tells a story that involves this very stretch of road. And it's a story about a poor man who found himself upon this stretch of road and fell foul to to the attackers of the day, the bandits of the day, the robbers of the day, who beat him and stole everything from him. Even his clothes left him for dead by the side of the road. And some of you may be familiar with this story. Maybe if you were one of those that I said grew up in church and can remember um, learning about Jesus for the first time when you were a child in church, you'll have heard this story probably. It's called the Good Samaritan. But if you've not heard the story, we're going to read it together this morning because it's a great story. and It's really going to tie in well with what I want to talk about on Compassion Sunday. So here's how the story goes. A guy by the name of Luke, he tells the story. And uh, if you're reading in your Bibles or in your apps on your phones, it can be found in Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. It'll be up on the screens as well if you want to follow along up there. So one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. You know, these, these religious leaders, they just could not stand the fact that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So they kept trying to trick him and trap him and use his own words against him to prove that he wasn't the Messiah. And this is exactly one of those occasions. He says, teacher, what should I do to inherit life? And I love this. Jesus always um, answers a question with a question. He was brilliant at this. He says, um, what does the law of Moses say? He knew this guy would know the law of Moses. He said, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? I think at this point, the guy probably showed off a little bit because he did know the law of Moses. He said, um, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That was a great answer. In fact, Jesus himself gave that same answer when questioned in another portion of the Bible. Jesus said, right, do this and you will live. Well, this guy was out to trick Jesus. He was out to test him. So he wasn't happy with that response. So he prodded and pushed a little bit more. The man wanted to, um, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I think when he was asking, who is my neighbor, he was hoping that whatever Jesus' response would be, it would upset someone, that someone wouldn't like to hear, that's my neighbor, I've got to love that person. But instead of coming out with a black and white answer and saying, okay, let me explain who your neighbor is, Jesus tells a story. It's a great story. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They would have known this particular part of the road. They would have known the reputation of the bloody pass. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man laying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, "'Take care of this man.'" If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And then Jesus asks this teacher, this religious leader, who's trying to trick him and trying to trap him, he asks him, now which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. You see, this was a really interesting dialogue going on between Jesus and this religious leader. As I said, his motives I don't believe were pure. I don't believe he was genuinely wanting to know. I think he was trying to trap Jesus in his words. What must I do to receive eternal life? But instead of debating, instead of getting into an argument, Jesus turns the question right back on him. And not satisfied with that, the religious leader wants to push more to discover exactly who his neighbor is. And right then, Jesus tells this story. And then, at the end of the story, he finishes by asking that religious leader the same question right back to him. Who is your neighbor? I love it. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one Had mercy on him. The reason I love this this sentence here, this dialogue that's going on between these two at this point, is because Jesus has, has trapped this guy in his own trap. You see, if you didn't know this, at the time, Jews and Samaritans were sworn enemies. So, in front of a large crowd of people who are looking towards this religious leader to see what kind of answer he gives, he realizes he's been trapped by his own logic. Because if he acknowledges that he despises Samaritans, everyone will know that he's missing the point of the story. Obviously, the one who was the neighbor, obviously the one who was cared in this situation was the Samaritan. So by answering what was the obvious answer, the man who showed mercy to him, he was actually saying, in this case, it's the Samaritan. This rival, this enemy of Samaritans had to stand before a crowd and acknowledge, I'd imagine with gritted teeth, that the Samaritan was the one that truly loved his neighbor. And then Jesus says to him, now you go and do likewise. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let's fast forward to today, shall we? Let's, let's take that story because I believe that every single story Jesus told, every single story that Jesus told can have relevance to us today in our lives. I think they're timeless, And I think in just the same way, we can be in this this same situation. We can be faced with the same question, well, who is my neighbor? And I'll say this this morning, that a lot of what I'm going to share, if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you actually get a bit of a pass this morning, okay? You get to kind of sit back and relax a little bit because a lot of the challenges I'm going to bring this morning will be to those of us who, who say we are followers of Jesus, those of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus. Now, having said that, if you are here this morning and you've not yet made that decision, I still think some of what I'm going to share is a great principle to live by. I think it can impact your life too. But this morning, if you're here and you've made a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to share with you some some verses from the Bible and some thoughts here that really should challenge every one of us as Christ followers. Because that story that Jesus told back then, he's still telling today. And we have to, like that religious leader, make a decision. What am I going to do when I discover who my neighbor is? Because 2,000 years later, that's the question I want to ask this morning. Who is our neighbor? You see, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it gives us the answer, and it's quite simple, really. You see, like the man on the side of the road, our neighbor is anyone in need that we are in a position to help. I believe this morning, our neighbor is anyone in need that we are in a position to help. If we're going to follow exactly what Jesus is teaching here, the story of the Good Samaritan, the whole moral of the story, the whole point of the story is the one who cared for his neighbor was the one out of all three who took the time to help the person that needed the help. You know... If you read through the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, time and time and time again, you'll come across examples, you'll come across verses that talk about those that are in need. It talks a lot about the poor and the oppressed, the marginalized and the discriminated against. In fact, I discovered this week that there were over 560 verses between Genesis and Revelation that deal with the responsibility of God's people to the, poor, to the poor and to the oppressed. More than 560 verses. We're going to go through every one of them this morning. <laughs> no, we're not ready. But we are going to look at four of them just to give us a little flavor, okay? So, uh, so listen to some examples I picked out here. The first is found in Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. There's another one in Proverbs 21.13. It says, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. There was a prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Isaiah. And he said in Isaiah 58.10, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. And then fast forward all the way to the New Testament, um, a guy by the name of John, who was uh, writing after the death of Jesus, he wrote this. He said in 1 John 3:17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And there are at least 556 more of those verses. Basically saying that God expects his people, that's you and that's me, to care for the poor and oppressed in our world. We are blessed when we do this, and I believe we are held accountable when we don't. So let's revisit Jesus' story this morning, but let's now imagine it in today's terms. Let's, let's do this. Instead of um, imagining a man who was left dead on the side of the road, let's imagine, seeing as it's Compassion Sunday, let's imagine it being a child. This child is one of 135 million children that are born into our world every year. That's how many children are born every single year in the world to begin their journey on their road of life. Now, despite what we see living here in the United States when there are conditions of poverty and and need for children born in the United States and other developed countries, generally, that journey is a relatively smooth one. Comparatively, I should say, to to others born elsewhere in the world. More often than not, most of them receive the nurture, the protection, and the learning opportunities they need to survive and thrive on their journey. However, for one quarter of the children born each year, like the child I want you to imagine today, the road of life for them is, is very similar to that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They have a dangerous road to walk along. Their road also has bandits along the way. Their bandits are poverty and hunger and disease. And tragically, many of these little ones are lost along the way. Right now, I learned this week from Compassion's statistics that there are 400 million children living in extreme poverty And each and every day, nearly 18,000 of those little ones younger than five years old lose their lives to these bandits because no one came to their rescue as they were laying there on the side of life's road. I also got to thinking about this and the story that Jesus told. And the reality is, just like the story that Jesus told, I think on this road, lots pass every day. And I think like the Jewish leaders and the priests in the story, I think some that pass these children are religious people, good people. So why is it then that they, or we, why is it that we choose to, to cross to the other side? Ignore the situation that's there in front of us. I don't actually believe it's because we don't care. In fact, even as I was going through this this week, the numbers are so big, and the tasks seem so large, it almost seems unattainable. It seems, it seems too big to do anything about. And for some of us, I think the needs of the world's poor are just too large and too overwhelming, too discouraging. How could one person, how could I as just one individual really make a difference? I couldn't. And I think sometimes that, that causes us just to keep on walking because we think, I really couldn't just myself make a difference. I think others of us, maybe we think, you know what, there are far better organizations out there to take care of this. Governments or, or organizations like UNICEF, you know, they're far better equipped, so I'll just let them do it. Maybe if we're really honest with ourselves, at times we find ourselves thinking, you know what, this other child, he's not my child. She's, she's not from my community. She He is not even from my country. Therefore, it's not really my problem. But the problem with that and I want you to hear me this morning, is that's not how God's word directs us to think about and to deal with the world's poor and oppressed. I actually think, as I've been preparing and reading through this message this week, I actually think that the world's um, poor and oppressed, that Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan makes it abundantly clear. Whenever we see someone in need and we have the opportunity to do something about it, we must. I think f- we are followers of Jesus, we, we, we must respond. You see, the good Samaritan, the hero in our story who did do something about it, he didn't just pass by on the other side of the road thinking, you know what, so many people get mugged on this road. I won't solve this problem by just helping one person. There'll be someone else tomorrow who gets mugged. What difference will it make if I just help one? You know, this, this problem is much bigger than me. No, he didn't. He thought, you know what, I'm just one, but I can help this one. You know what else the Good Samaritan didn't do? He didn't leave the problem thinking, you know what? This road's always been problematic. The, the government should do something about this. The ruler should step in and, and sort this road out. We need some street lights or we need some, you know, some security up and down this road. That would solve the problem. And, uh, you know, there's, there's better people equipped to solve this problem. No, he saw a man hurting on the side of the road and he says, I can do something right now to fix this person's problem. You know, he didn't even think, you know what? That guy's not even from my community. In fact, he appears to be a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. I've been brought up to think a certain way about those kind of people. I'm not going to help that person. He's got his own people who can help him. Now, he didn't think any of those. As Jesus relates the story, the Samaritan man, he got involved. He was only one man, and he couldn't help everyone who had found themselves a victim in the bloody past. But on this day, to this one person, he could do something. And I feel that this morning, us as a church, us as, as Christ followers, this day, to one child, we can do something. And you know, I heard a message much like this myself years ago. In fact, I was thinking about it as I was preparing it, but before Casey and I were even married, I think I might have been at a concert or a convention or wherever it was. Maybe it was a church like this. And they were talking about compassion and the work they do with children. I thought, I want to be a part of that. I want to make a difference in the life of a child. And I remember sponsoring a child at that point and And uh, all through, we got married and we had kids and we still had this child. And all the way through the age of 18 years old, we sponsored this child until he graduated the compassion program and went on to, to live a much more successful life because of the opportunities that were being presented to him. And at that point, we had another opportunity. They said, you know, you've been paying regularly. Would you like to continue paying and adopt another child? And we were a family now, so we chose um, a little girl. Her name was Maria. She's from Bolivia. And as a family, we chose to sponsor her, and we continued on, and we did the letters and communicated with Maria. We prayed for Maria as a family. And I was always um, a fan of Compassion. I was always a big advocate of what they did. And then last year, before Connect Church Planted, I was presented with this incredible opportunity. I was invited with a group of other pastors to join Compassion and to go down to Ecuador in South America and see Compassion at work. So last year I went on a trip that honestly changed my life forever because I saw a side of the world that we just don't see every day. But I also got to see the light shining brightly because of what Compassion was doing in that place. And I have to be honest with you, up until that point, I believed in Compassion. I believed that they were a good ministry. I trusted them. But when I saw what they were doing, it just confirmed everything to me, the, just the amazing work they were doing. So I want to share just a little bit this morning as I um, finish out here just about that trip. So if we can pull up that first slide there, Laura, that would be great. So this is where I went. This was the, the place in Ecuador. Uh, it was out near the coast, and uh, these are the kind of accommodations that we were visiting. We were visiting a, a compassion center that was working with children that lived in these villages. You can see inside their homes, most of these houses, ha- I mean, that's, that's the whole house. The whole family lived there. So if we can go to the next slide, this would be inside their homes. They'd have a small living area, much the, a lot of the time was smaller than even this stage. And in that would be the beds that they'd sleep in, in the corner would be a small kitchen outside would be an area where they might use the bathroom or there'd be somewhere they could wash but just this tiny little house made of cardboard and bamboo canes and what amazed me the most on this trip was I expected to meet people who were dejected and disheartened and sad and but we met just the most incredible people if I can pull up the next slide, we met this family right here this is the mum and her five children She brought us into her home, just a beautiful family. And with pride, she she told us about each one of her children. One of them had been sponsored by the Compassion Programme. And it was actually Geordie, his name was. He's the taller little kid on the right-hand side. So he was, uh, he was experiencing the benefit of the, the Compassion program. And, and what that meant was as a family, um, the mum, the, the small resources she did get were able to spread further through the family because Compassion was helping that one child with his needs. But we got to go inside this home. And if we can pull up the next slide, we got to hear their story. We got to pray with them as a family. And it was just amazing to meet this family and to see all that they were doing. And of the family, I've got to be honest, there was one little guy. You see him on the bed there playing with toys. There he is with me. His name's Luis. And he just kind of hung on to me. And we went back to the, the area at the church where Compassion would meet and they'd work with the mums and they'd work with the children. And he was just kind of playing with me. And, and I talked to one of the Compassion guys who was there. And I, I was asking about the family. He said, actually, Luis is waiting sponsorship. He's been on the list now for about six months and hasn't been sponsored. And I'm like, oh. And I'm like miles away from Casey, so I'm thinking, I hope she trusts me here because I just, I can't. So I said to the guy, is there any way that I could sponsor Luis? He goes, well, I'm not sure, he said, because um, there is a packet for him and it's somewhere in the world. It's in a church or at a convention center or somewhere there's a packet much like ours and we can't let you sponsor him because... Literally, at this point, there could be someone else in the world taking that packet, and then, you know, we'd have to tell one of you it's not. So um, I said, well, if there's any way... So this was Wednesday, we went back, and I guess all day Thursday, he was on the phone talking to the offices back here in America, they, they narrowed it down to where Luis's packet was, they, uh, they found it, they pulled it out, and said, okay, we found someone to sponsor Luis, so take his packet out, and then Thursday night, the guy pulls me aside after dinner, he says, hey, I've got great news, we found Luis's packet, and he is available, no one sponsored him yet, you can sponsor him. And it was just so cool because I'd been in his house, and I wanted to be able to sponsor a child who I'd kind of connected with. And he says, hey, even better news, tomorrow, and it was scheduled to be a free day. It was the Friday before we flew back on the Saturday. Tomorrow, some of the pastors that are on this trip, they've got children. They sponsor in Ecuador, and we're bringing those children to the hotel so they can actually meet them face-to-face, the children they've been sponsoring. And it's incredible because there is a connection between when we were in Luis's house, Geordie pulled his packet out, and he had pictures of a family. I don't know who they are, but they were there in America. He told me their names. He told me their kids' names. He told me he prayed for them. This family, you know, they, they have no idea, but I'm in the home of the little child that they're sponsoring, and they're telling me about how they pray for this family back in America. So he said, we're bringing them in, and and because you've agreed to sponsor Luis, we're going to bring Luis as well, and you get to spend the day with him tomorrow. So I'm like, that was like a little bit scary, because I'm thinking, I hope he likes me, But, um, (laughs) but he does, and he did. It was just so cool. And uh, Luis and I, we got to spend the day together at a hotel. He swam in the pool, and we hung out together. And then there was a beach nearby. We went down to the beach, and um, I told him about my family. I told him about Casey, and I told him about my three children. So uh, we actually went down to the beach, and uh, he, it was his mission. He wants to pick five shells, one for me, one for Casey, one for Ben, one for Will, and one for Emma. And we've still got those shells. I should have bought them today. Uh, he said, this is, this is the one I want you to give to Ben. And he he said it in Spanish, obviously, but the interpreter told me that he'd chosen the one he wanted Ben to have and the one he wanted Will to have. And and that was Luis with his mum there. And we were able to, just before he had to leave, the timing worked where we FaceTimed him. And Casey had just picked the kids up from school, and they sat here in our living room in Washington talking to Luis by, uh, by video. And it was just an amazing moment, and just so cool to know that in that moment... I got to um, connect with this child and still each month we, we, we get these letters from him and we get to communicate backwards to, back to him as well and um, making a difference in another child's life. And compassion does great. If we could pull this next slide up. These are some of the, uh, the things that happens with the money that we send. That $38 that we send every month, we, they will receive help through the local church. They're provided with health services, educational assistance, supplemental food. And they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And if we pull the next slide up. We got the opportunity on that day, we now have two, to say, I'm here for you. To sponsor one child. If you were to do this this morning, you get the chance to know your child through letters and prayers. And it enables your child to feel loved, valued, and cared for. Let's pull up this last slide here. It costs just $38 a month to sponsor a child with compassion and give them hope for their future. And really, I'll be honest with you, I know this um, may sound a little bit kind of like an infomercial this morning, but the reality is there are churches all around the country right now celebrating this organization and asking if people would consider, would pray about, and say, you know what, I want to make the difference in the life of one child. I can't help everyone. I can't solve the problem, but you know what? For $38 a month, I can afford to make the difference in one child's life. And there are packets at the back, and you can learn about children, and you can learn about how you can make a difference in a child's life. And I'll be honest with you, I want you to, to pray about that, and I want you to consider that. And, and I'd love as a church to be able to say to compassion, hey, we've got you know, this many families who have said they want to make a difference in the life of a child somewhere in the world. But I want to close out with one more thought here this morning, because... Going on this trip, I discovered that there was a bigger issue at large. So individually, we can all make a difference. Any one of us here could sponsor a, a child and we can make a difference in the life of that child. And you need to know that their packets are back there. They are individual kids. This isn't this kind of thing where, you know, there are, there's one picture and that picture's in 50 churches this morning. There is one packet per child and it's sitting on that table. And there's another packet for a unique child, and, and, and there are very there's, there's even cards about um, the structure of Compassion as an organization, their financial integrity. You can read all about them and what they do. But here's what I discovered when I was down in Ecuador. I discovered that when we got there, they were working with about 150 children in Luis's village. So we got to visit this mom and her kids, and, and they came every day to this big building in the center of the village, and I'm going to pull up a picture of it right now, and it was the church. There was two churches that I visited. One was there on the left, one was there on the right. And they were wonderful, the people. When you get there, they all came out, and they were so excited to see us, and they, they celebrated, and they were ringing bells and had balloons and all sorts of things. But what I discovered was compassion has this uh, mandate where even though there are children in areas that they could help, if there's not a church in that area... They'll wait until a church is established. Then they'll partner with the church. Compassion doesn't work alone with these children. It works hand-in-hand with a local church. So compassion doesn't build the church. The local church in Ecuador, this was the uh, Centro Evangelistico, was a big church nearby in a bigger city. And they were building these churches in all these outlying communities. So they would build these churches, and the pastor would come in, and then Compassion would partner and say, we'll do all the children's work for you. We'll cover the teaching of the moms, how they can raise their kids, all this kind of thing. But we need you to have a church that they can go to and they can connect with. So what I discovered on this trip was, was that there were communities where there were children in need. There were pastors who were willing to pastor a church, but there still was no church building. In fact, we went to one of these communities. If we can put up the next slide there. Oh, actually, that's a big panoramic shot of that same church. So let's jump now to the, the final slide. Actually, no, let's jump back to that panoramic. Sorry, I feel like you're at my uh, slideshow here, but it's uh, the vacation slideshow. So the left-hand side, that's the church. Behind the church was a kitchen where they would feed the children. Over on the right are the classrooms. Then right there in the middle is the bathrooms. And we went to two different buildings, exactly the same. They just they've got this down. They they this church that was planted. The church is there. They build these buildings. So we went to another site where they're in the process of building a church. So there are children in this area ready to be sponsored. But they can't be sponsored until the church is established. So I asked the guy who was giving us the Torah, I said, how long has it taken them to get this far? He said, three years. I said, three years? He said, because they haven't got the money. They, they, they have to build at the speed at which the money comes in. He said, so they've had enough money so far to do this, but they're waiting now for more money so they can continue to build this church. So I said, how much does it cost to build a church so that these children can have a place to go? And this, this community, he said, $80,000. Most of us live in homes that cost more than that. And you saw how big that building was. So at that point, I decided, you know what? I also want to take on a, a big challenge here as a church. Now, I don't think we can... Um, do a full church and i was talking to some guys at compassion i said but i bet there are churches like connect who maybe they're new maybe they're um you know a little bit smaller than some of these large churches but they want to make a difference i said what i'd like to do is if you could find me three other churches who could say yeah i think i could raise twenty thousand dollars that will be the fourth church and i said to this guy over the next year we want to make it a goal at connect church that we build one of these churches do you know what I want to be able to do? People come to me all the time saying, hey, I love the church. I love that you meet at school. When are you going to build a building? I want to say, you know what? We're in the middle of building one right now. It's in Ecuador. It's going to be great. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, we're not going to build one of those. Because <laughs> yeah. we're not going to get one for $80,000 in Washington. Not unless we get a really, really good deal. So in the meantime, let's build churches where we can afford to build churches. And we'll keep meeting in here for uh, renting this place this week. But um, So I said to the guy, I think over the next year, we can raise $20,000 to build this church. He says, that's great news. So he emailed me back, and he said, hey, I'm so excited that you've um, taken on this challenge to to raise $20,000 by the end of the year. And I said, whoa, no, no. I said, a year, like not the end of this year, but one way or another, I want to as a church. So. So here's how we're going to do this. There's a couple of ways we're going to do this. So the first way is that every week, when we take up the offering the way we take up the offering, we have money that we've set aside. We've said, we don't want that to go to connect here. We want that to go somewhere in the world, whether it's here in the United States or overseas, to plant churches. We've seen the difference a church plant can make in a community. We've seen the lives that have changed because God allowed us to plant Connect Church in Washington. So we want to invest some of the money that comes into Connect into planting other churches. So Some of that money we've set aside already and some of it now we're going to send to Compassion to help build this church. The second way is in a second, we're going to kind of seed that account. We're going to do some seed money. In a minute, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And I want to take an offering this morning. This has nothing to do with the sponsored children. This is just for us this morning to say, hey, I want to give a little bit to help complete a building like that, to partner with some other churches to build a church. And um, I'll be honest with you, I, they work all over the world. But I've said to them, I had such a good time down there in Ecuador. I really was impressed at what the local churches were doing to reach people in that community. Um, I want to build a church in Ecuador. And just as a little side note, well, there are children from all over the world back there. But I did ask for a lot from Ecuador because my, I have a goal that one day we'll organize a trip as a church. And we'll open it up to people who want to go. And you can come to Ecuador. Compassion do these trips every year. You can actually go and you can step foot in the country and see what they're doing. And you, like me, will be blown away by how much good they're doing in those areas. But if you happen to have a child that you sponsor and he or she is in Ecuador, then while you're on that trip, wherever they are in Ecuador, at some point during the trip, like Luis in that video, they'll bring him or her and you'll get to meet that little boy or that little girl face to face. So there's another opportunity. So I'm going to ask the ushers if they'll they'll come forward here. And then as they're... um, Passing out the buckets here, I'll tell you about this last idea I had, but um, at this point, so like I said, all of the money collected here, so if you've got a check and you want to write a check, you can just write compassion on there so we know, Uh, we'll keep it separate from the other offering, but all of this will just go towards that um, church planting goal that we've set to help build a church in Ecuador. So here's my last way that you'd help. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, Dave, I'd love to help, but Things are tight right now. I'm not sure I can do anything financially. That's okay. I've got another great opportunity for you this morning. So, <laughs> this, I should be doing this on a TV channel, shouldn't I, really? So, this blender, it'll change your life. No, two weeks from today, okay, two weekends from today, there is a lacrosse tournament going on here in town. Some of you guys may have kids playing in it, okay? Um, the Park District came to me a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, and they said, hey, We've got the situation. People have to pay to park. Um, we don't have all the volunteers necessary to run the parking. We need people to collect money as they drive in. We need a few people stood at the end of Oak Ridge Park just to kind of direct traffic this way or that way. Um, we don't have the manpower. We know you maybe do with some of the volunteers at your church. Um, we're willing to, to split the money and give whatever we raise in parking that we can give half to your church. And he's talking about, yeah, isn't that good? That's some good, good, thank you. <laughs> So they were talking like over $1,000. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a lot of work. That might be difficult to get people committed to that kind of thing. But then I got thinking about this Sunday. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we served on that day and helped? And all the money we raised from that day, I guarantee you will go straight towards this project. We'll go straight towards. So what that means is if you're willing to volunteer, and we've got a sign-up sheet at the back, it's two-hour shifts on Saturday and Sunday. You can go along by yourself. You can go as a whole family, have some fun with it. It's nothing more fun than a family day out parking cars, so uh, that'll be great. (laughs) But when you're out there, you can be thinking, you know what, this car I'm parking right now, he has no idea that he's helping build a church in South America. This money I'm taking, thank you, sir. Thanks for coming. South America. <laughs> Just being a part, being volunteers, and, and we won't do lots of things like that, but this opportunity came up, and I felt like it was the right time for it coming up, and I thought, man, what a great way to kick off this campaign, because I know that we can do this as a church. So, uh, so that's it. There are sign-ups at the back, I'm talking about the sponsor children. I wanted to share my heart, what we feel at Connect Church we want to do to make a difference in the lives of children in that country. So we're going to close out now and to close out, we're going to watch one more video and then we're done. You're dismissed. You can stop by the tables. Check out the packets. And if you've got any questions, there's lots of wonderful people back there that will answer it. And we look forward to seeing you all back here next Sunday for Mother's Day. It's going to be an incredible service. So uh, you're going to want to come back for that, but let's check out this video.
2: Please don't forget to tell a child in poverty, I'm here for you and stop by the sponsorship table today.